we're in week 11. Here in two weeks, we're going to close it out. I, I would like to say, I promise you, but we're looking to close it out. Uh, but next week, Ben, Pastor Ben, who's homesick, he's going to be preaching, and, and I'll be here, man. My wife will be here. But the following week, the 27th, I'm going to be t- closing this out with a message called A Disciple's Guide to Throwing a Party. You didn't know disciples are supposed we, we should be the best partiers in the world. We should know how to throw a good party, and we should know how to attend a party. See, most of y'all didn't think. See, here's the thing. When you look, I didn't grow up hearing a lot about this, and I don't want to get too deep into, into that message, but I grew up hearing about all the miracles, about all things, but I never got told that how much Jesus ate. Jesus liked to eat. Jesus got invited to a lot of dinner parties, and, and you may be saying, Ooh, I like that message. I'm going to be here. Eat like Jesus. Here's the problem. If you eat like Jesus, but don't walk like Jesus, you're going to look like Buddha. <laughs> so we're going to talk about that a little later. But we're in week 11 of this series, Anatomy of a Disciple. And I had a guy tell me at our men's breakfast a couple of weeks ago, he came and he's talking to me in the kitchen. He said, Pastor Kelly, he said, this series, if you want to pick a series that would absolutely kick my tail every week, this has been it. I looked at him, I said, I'm glad. I'm good. Because you should leave here every week challenged. I'll leave here every week challenged. Throughout the week, I'm studying, and I'm challenged throughout my studies. And the thing about this series, not, it wasn't meant to make you feel, a bad, bad, feel bad about where you are in your walk with Jesus. The hope of this is that you'll see, hey, here's some areas I've got to work on. And allow Holy Spirit to convict you and put in you a desire to actually be a true believer, true follower, and disciple of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Uh, uh, let's get, get, get going. After Jesus' resurrection, we've been talking about that. He gives us what is known as the Great Commission, where he says this in Matthew 28, 18, 19. All authority in heaven has been, and on earth has been given to me. And then he makes a statement. Therefore, go and do what? Make disciples. The church has done a really good job at getting people to pray a prayer, but we have done a horrible job at making disciples because it's hard to make something you don't know what it looks like. Like if I was to tell you, hey, go make, for, go, go make me a, a djembe. There are a few of you who would know what that is, but there are several of you, uh, I don't, is that an uh, African cooking utensil? Is that, I don't know. It's a type of drum because you got to know what you got to have a picture to be able to make something. And I came across this great definition for being a disciple. Bring that up for me, please. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. That's a disciple. They're following Jesus. They're being changed by Jesus, and they're committed to the mission of Jesus. We see this played out when Jesus comes across his first disciples, Simon, Andrew, James, and John. And he tells us, follow me and become what? And I'll make you fishers of men. We see those three things. Uh, Jesus says, follow me. 
a disciple is someone who follows Jesus. A disciple is someone who's being changed. He says, I will make you. I'm going to make you something other than you are now. I'm going to change you. And then fishers of men committed to the mission. The mission of Jesus has always been people. You realize that, right? It's always been people. His heart has always been people. And I want people to know what we're talking about when we talk about discipleship and being a disciple. Because I'm going to tell you, in the culture we're living in, there are so many false truths that get thrown our way. If we do not know what God's Word says about it. Are you hearing me? I came across a very interesting article in, in a cultural research center. This is what the article said. See if this doesn't describe us. Americans, Christians specifically, are starting to base their beliefs on what feels right instead of what is right. Man. And because we lack a source of truth that is unchangeable and authoritative, we're starting to lose our foundation or the thing that gives us strength and stability, especially when times get tough. We're starting to base our beliefs on what feels right instead of what is right. How many know there's a big difference? How many knows your feelings will lie to you? Come on. How many been trying to eat right and your feelings say, man, those moose tracks, you need those. You may want them, but you know, your feelings will lie to you. That's why we need a firm foundation that tells us exactly what it is. I believe that's why uh, we, we, more than ever, we need to be reminded of some words Jesus spoke over 2,000 years ago in Matthew 7, 24, 25. He said, these words I speak to you, they're not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words. They are words to build a life on. In other words, guys, this is not just good TED Talk material. It's not just a good podcast for you to listen to. It's not just something you can, you can take and make little memes about and post it on social media. These are words to build your life on. They're foundational. They're foundational. And here's what Jesus is saying to his disciples, the crowd, skeptics, uh, the religious teachers, to you and me. He said, it's impossible to be neutral with this. Do you know Jesus had a, had a way of, when he spoke something, you were forced to choose sides. You're forced to either you believe what he said or you don't. He forced you to choose sides. You can't hear his words and nothing happened. Hearing, hearing the words of Jesus demand action. And by you taking no action, you're taking action. They demand action. Truth always demands a response. And Jesus says, hey, guys, pay attention because the words I'm speaking, they're not just some little side additions that you can add to your life. They're not just some homeowner improvements that you can improve your way of your standard of living. They are foundational words, life to, words to build your life on. I've got a sword and a Bible on, on this little table here. Um, Candace Wallace, our creative director, is so funny. Um, why she would just have this laying around the house, I do not know. But I put the word out, hey, I need a sword. Anybody got one? Two seconds later, gotcha, PK. But I've got a sword and a Bible. Now, in the South, 
How would it make you feel if you come across someone opening this Bible up and just beginning to tear the pages out of it? Oh, did you hear the grumbles? Oh, what about if we burned it? Well, here's the thing. You have to have more than high regard for this right here. You have to have more than just respect for this. You have to actually let these be foundational words to your life and apply them to your walk and to your life. Or, or you're just getting ticked off over nothing. Are you hearing me? The Bible says that the Word of God is a sword. And that we are to take up the sword of the Spirit. And when we actually begin to digest what the Word says, the sword of the Spirit, that's what brings healing to our lives. That's what brings peace into our lives. That's what brings joy when there's chaos all around us. But you cannot do it unless you've got a grip on it. Get a grip. Look at your neighbor say, get a grip. I started to use uh, Aerosmith's album cover for this, but I thought, nah, better not. Uh, no Aerosmith fans? Okay. That's all right. Some of you. Jesus said, work these into your life. So, Kelly, how do we work these words into our life? I'm, I am so pumped you ask. Because if you had not asked, I would not have a message. So I'm glad you asked. Uh, anybody heard of a, 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 a religious group called the Navigators? They're a great organization, do a lot of great work. Years ago, they came up with this illustration of what it looked like to really have the full Word of God in your life. And we're going to base our, our message today, get a grip, on those uh, six things, six ways to get a grip. And, and what they do, they've got a picture of a hand, and each finger represents something that we should be doing. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, there's a couple of these. This first one, especially, they're not going to blow you away. You're not going to say, oh, Kelly, why didn't I think of that before? But the problem is we know to do so. To him that knows to do good and does not, it is a sin. Are you hearing me? So we're going to look at that. So this first finger, if you're taking notes, and I highly recommend you do, this first finger, maybe the pointing finger, maybe instead of pointing out somebody else's faults, Maybe, <laughs> I think I'll at least get a grumble or something out of that. Maybe we just remind us of this, read God's word. Kelly, come on. Is it really that important that we read God's word? I, I absolutely believe it is. But I don't want you to take my, my, my word for it. I want to show you what the Bible says. Uh, because in the time, Israel didn't always have a king. And they were like, we want to be like the other nations. Make us like the other nations. And God said, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to give you a king. But here's what I'm going to require of that king. And that's where we pick up. Look at this in Deuteronomy 17, 18 through 20. It says, when the future king sits on the throne as king, he must copy for himself. Don't get one of your servants to copy it. Don't get one of your kids to do your work. You've got to do it for yourself. Copy for himself this body of instruction on a scroll in the presence of a Levitical priest. Why did he have to do it in front of a priest? Keep him accountable. Hey, I'm going to fudge a little bit. I'm just going to go say, uh, the Lord says it'd be a good idea to do this. Instead of, the, thus saith the Lord. No, it was to keep him accountable. And he says this, he must always keep that copy with him and read it. How often? 
as long as he lives. That way he will learn to fear the Lord his God by obeying all the terms of these instructions and decrees. He goes on. This regular reading will prevent him from becoming proud and acting as if he is above everybody else. It will, that's my interpretation. It will also prevent him from turning away from these commands in the smallest way. And it will ensure that he and his descendants will reign for many generations in Israel. Here's what the writer is telling us that the reading of the word of God will do for the king and will do for us. One, it'll cultivate reverence in us. It'll show us, hey, there's some things, man, we need to revere, some things of God we got to have reverence for. It, it, it inspires a person to obey and honor God in their attitudes, not just their actions, but their attitudes uh, as well. How many ever saw the Christian that, that told you they loved you, but they talked and acted like uh, they could care less if you go to hell? Come on. You may be sitting by one right now. Anyway, let's go. The, another thing, the reading of the Word of God, it serves as a preventative measure. And it will keep, it keeps your life on track. He, it says, he says, always, the king is to always keep it with him, reading it daily. In, in, in his book, Hearing God, Dallas Wheeler said this, Few people arise in the morning as hungry for God as they are for cornflakes or toast and eggs. Man, that's tough, ain't it? Well, Christine Kane takes it to a whole nother level. She says this, we want to drive through Sunday scripture to try and sustain us forever. Keep it under 140 characters. A verse a day keeps the devil away. You have got to be kidding. In the day and the age in which we live, you better feast on the word of God. She's right. The day where you better feast. But don't we want that? We want just some, hey, oh, I mean, got the Bible app. It gives me my verse of the day. I'll read that inspirational and I'm good to go. No, you feast on it. You better be feasting, eating the word of God. Look what Job said about the word, word of God. Job 23, 12. I have not failed the command of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than what? Job, under severe attack from Satan, and not just Satan, but his friends coming in and telling him things that are not true. And Job said, you know what, God, there's one thing. Hey, I know food sustains me, but there's one thing I need more than that. Your word, I need it more than necessary food. I need your word more than breakfast, more than lunch, more than dinner, more than a midnight snack. I need your word. It's necessary. The second uh, is reminded of the middle finger. Maybe instead of using it as a verb, let it remind you of this. We need to hear God's word. You want to be a true disciple of Jesus. Learn to really hear God's word. You know, there's more than hearing God's word than just listening. You, I mean, to actually hear it. Uh, Romans 10, 17 says this. So faith comes by what? And by the word of God. Jesus seems to think it's, hearing is important. And, I mean, he lays out two essentials uh, that he points out in his word. Look, Jesus says this, pay close attention to what you hear. Mark 24, 24, he says, consider carefully what you hear. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. What you hear, man, relates to the content that you take in. You need to be very careful about what content you're allowing into you. Come on, man. I, 
I'm going to harp here for a minute. I'm telling you, social media is one of the most aggravating and frustrating things. And, and you'll get up in the morning, and that's the first thing you look at and before you go to bed. You're scrolling through. And, then, and, and it's like, oh, this person, they ticked me off. I can't stand what this person says. I can't stand their beliefs. It'd be, then stay away from them. But what do you do? Oh, let me see what they said today. You do it. And you allow content, what you're hearing, to affect your mood, affect how you speak to people. Come on. Some of you go to bed every night depressed and under anxiety because of everything else that has nothing to do with you. Oh, let me move on before I get in trouble. The second thing Jesus says is essential. Pay close attention to how you hear. Luke 8, 18, he says, consider carefully how you listen. How you hear relates to your attitude. Let me ask you, when you hear the word of God, what does it do to you? Sometimes it can make you a little angry. Sometimes you just start questioning. I, I just don't believe he means that now. God, Jesus wasn't living this tight in age. Come on, he don't mean that. It, it makes you question. But here, here's the thing. What about if we allowed, when we heard it, it humbled us. It convicted us to change things in our life. Instead of us getting proud and angry or arrogant, we said, oh, God, what can I do different? How can I change this? Jesus said, pay close attention to how you feel. The third finger, the ring finger, represents the third way to get a grip on God. It says, meditate on God's word. Now, the moment meditate came up, some of y'all are like, oh, I knew this was a weird church. This is one of them new age churches, meditate. Well, that's because you don't understand what meditation is. See, in a secular environment, new age environment, what meditation means is clear your mind. Make room for the universe. But biblical meditation is filling your mind with what God says about you. Taking a word, taking a scripture, and begin to meditate on that word. Let me, let me give you a beautiful description of what it means. Harvey, you'll like this. Uh, how many grew up around cows? You ever watch a cow eat? Isn't it a beautiful thing? They'll chew it up, swallow it, puke it back up, chew on it some more, swallow it, puke it back up. It's just beautiful. Do you know one article I read said a cow will do that somewhere between 40 to 60 times. Do you know why? They're trying to get every bit of nourishment out of that grass. Every vitamin, every mineral, everything that's of value out of that. That's what it means to meditate on God's word. You're trying to get every ounce of nutrition, every bit of wisdom, every bit of direction that God is trying. You're turning it over in your mind. You're swallowing it. Oh, I ain't got like there's more. Let me bring it back up. And you're just over and over in your mind. That's what it means to meditate on God's word. Psalms 119, the psalmist says this. I will meditate on your precepts, and I will fix my eyes on your way. One of the Hebrew words here used for meditate here is Hagah. Here's what it means. To murmur or mutter under your breath. To talk to yourself. To talk to yourself. And some of you thought that was wrong. The problem is what you're saying to yourself is speaking louder than what God says about you. 
Meditating. Here's what meditating is. It's having a very focused conversation with yourself about God's word where you turn it over and over and over in your mind. The psalmist says this in Psalms 1-2. They delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. What are they doing? They're chewing it up over and over, day and night. They're chewing it up so they can be able to get every bit of nourishment, every vitamin, every mineral possible from the promises and the principles God has given. Chris Valton describes meditating like this. He says, to imagine, think about, envision, to talk to yourself and even sing the truth to yourself. Kelly, that's great. I just don't know how to meditate. Uh, Yes, you do. There are a lot of you that meditate almost 24 hours a day. You know how to worry? What worry is, is turning that problem, that situation over and over and over your mind, trying to figure out the different outcomes. And you're meditating on that problem. You're meditating on that situation. You're meditating on what could be. And that's what, instead of meditating on those worries, you begin to meditate on God's word and what it says. You know, you know how to meditate. You've just got to shift your focus and find out what God's word is saying. Instead of what you or social media is saying. The fourth, the pinky finger. Throw your pinky fingers in the inner mind. <laughs> I cry. Listen, I'm going to laugh at my jokes. Whether you, my kids will say this, daddy laughs at these jokes. It don't matter if anybody else does. Um, memorize God's word. We need to memorize God's word. You want to strengthen your walk with God and memorize the word. I hear guys say this. Kelly, I just, I don't have a good memory. I can't memorize well. But yet they can tell you every statistic from a ball game that took place 30 years ago. (laughs) How many remember where you were in 9-11? You remember 9-11, you know where you were. Why? Because we, memor- we have a memory. We memorize things that are important to us. That's why, men, you better know when your wife's birthday is. For- Listen, you can forget every one of your kids' birthday. That won't be a big deal. Your wife will remind you. But you better know your wife's birthday. That better be ingrained in your mouth. I figured I'd get more amens than that, women, but that's all right. You better know their birthday and anniversary. You memorize it. And I'm not the best at memorizing things. I, I'm telling you, even when it comes to Scripture, I have to over and over. over. I'll, I'll write it out and stick it up places where I see it. And, we'll stick it. and then I'll think I've got it. Okay, that's it, that's it. No, no. And I have to come back to it. Because it's important that we get that inside of us. And you say, well, Kelly, why is it that? We've got now the apps. We can care. We can Google it. I'm going to tell you, there's going to be a day when you're going to need that inside of you without having to Google it or look at your Bible app. In Matthew 4, Jesus gets led into the wilderness by the Spirit and is tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. Do you, how, did, how did he overcome Satan during that 40 days? Quoting the Word of God, quoting the Word of God. Well, Kelly, he wrote the book. You're missing the point. If Jesus himself 
had to have the word of God inside of him for when temptation came, when trials came. How much more do we need the word of God at our, right there with us when we're going through stuff? We need to memorize the word of God. The psalmist said this in Psalms 119.11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not what? Sin. I memorize your scripture so that when temptation comes, I've got it handy. I've got it there. Ephesians 6, 10, 18 talks about the whole armor of God. I mean, it goes through a list of things. Uh, your feet shall be the preparation of the gospel, the shield of faith. Here's the thing. You read all those. Most of them, almost all of them are primarily defensive weapons. There's only one offensive weapon, the sword of the Spirit. He says, Get, take the sword of the Spirit, Ephesians 6, 17. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The, the word that Paul uses here for, for, for the sword, it, it's the Greek word, mahara. And here's what it means. It, it's a razor-sharp sword used by Roman soldiers. But get this, it's used for close combat. Why would we need something for close combat? Because, see, if you see it coming, it's easy to prepare for the attacks. But it's when you get sideswiped, when something hits you out of nowhere and the enemy is close, you need something for close combat. And he says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Paul knew it. Get this. We, we, we've been given access to the very same weapon that Jesus used when he was tempted. We've got that weapon. The sword of the Spirit. I, I love the way Mark uh, Batterson says. He says, when you open your Bible, God opens his mouth. I love that. When you open your Bible, God opens his mouth. I'm telling you, memorizing God will help you resist temptation. It'll help, make you, it'll help you make better decisions, better choices. It'll give you strength. It'll give you a firm foundation when you go through a storm. Know what his word says. And I'm saying know what it says. How many have heard the phrase, uh, the truth will set you free? Do you know, nowhere in the Bible is that a standalone statement. But that's what gets quoted. Oh, the truth! Oh, brother, the truth will set you free. Well, that, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said in John eight thirty two, "You will know the truth. You will have knowledge of it, and your understanding of that truth is what's going to set you free." And, and if you don't have understanding of that truth, chances are it's just going to take you off. Are you hearing me? It's knowledge of that truth that's going to set you free. See, Satan doesn't really care um, how much truth you have around you. He doesn't care if it's NIV, uh, NLT, ESV, TPT, MSG, or KJV. He doesn't care how much truth. He doesn't care if you've got it sitting on your, your uh, coffee table at home, on the, on the bookshelf at your desk. He doesn't care if you've got it on your phone, on your computer. Satan doesn't care how much truth you have around you. He cares about how much truth you have in you. In you. The Bible says you'll know the truth. And your knowledge of that truth is what's going to set you free and keep you free. Keep you free. Get a grip on it. You read it. You hear it. You meditate on it. You memorize it. Fifth, the thumb. Study God's word. 
study it. Anybody uh, heard of, uh, I know there's a school, I think now Chattanooga, Berean Academy, and there's Berean churches, Berean schools. Well, well, the Bereans, uh, incredible uh, group of people in Acts, when you read about them, Acts 17 talks about this group of people and their desire to study the word. Look, look what Paul says here in Acts 17, or what the writer says. They found the Jews of Berea were more notable character, noble character, and much more open-minded than those of Thessalonica. Look, they were hungry to learn and eagerly receive the word. Every day they opened the scrolls of Scripture to search and examine them to verify that what Paul t- was teaching them was true. Paul would teach them. They would go home, open up the Bible, let's see, and get this. It wasn't because they were being jerks. They weren't like, oh, let's go. I'm going to prove Paul wrong. No, they were saying, this truth is incredible. Let's make sure that it's what he said is true. I pray every week you leave here and you say, let's go home and open up the word of God and make sure what Pastor Kelly's saying. Make sure it's up to date. Make sure what he said is true. That's why in your notes there's scripture references because you've got to study it for yourself. You, come on, guys. Well, Kelly isn't reading it the same as studying it. No. Here's what studying the Bible is. You ask questions about what you just read. And then you write down what what God or what Holy Spirit may have just said to you about that scripture. You're digging in. You're looking at it. Man, I'm I'm gonna get I didn't even give this to 9 a.m. I'm gonna tell you there's a great free uh, blueletterbible.org. It is an incredible uh, Bible program online, free, blueletterbible.org. You can go in there, type any scripture in there, and then you can go down. It's got tools. You can find out what the true Hebrew meaning was, the Greek meaning of that word was. It'll tell you how to pronounce that word. I'm telling you, that's... When I say study, I want to know when I look at a scripture. I don't want, I don't want to know. Yeah, great. Let me t- tell me what you think. But then I'm going to dig in and see if there's something else that God may be speaking to me that you didn't see in that scripture. Study the word of God. Proverbs 25, 2. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. Author Jerry Bridges says this. Reading gives us breadth. But study gives us depth. Gives us depth. I love 2 Timothy 2.15. He says, study and be eager and do your utmost to present yourself to God approved. A workman who has no cause to be ashamed, correctly analyzing and accurately dividing the word of truth. The Living Bible says this, know what his word says and what it means. I'm telling you, that can only happen when you study it. Sixth and last. Scroll on the palm of the hand is the word apply. You've got to apply God's word. In other words, put it into practice. I said this a few weeks ago. One of my points was transformation or information doesn't lead to transformation. Application of that information is what leads to transformation. Listen, you could have all five. You could read the word, study the word, meditate on it, memorize the word. What's the Hear the word of God, all those things. But if you do not apply it, nothing else matters. 
Nothing else matters. If you do not apply it, uh, D.L. Moody said this years ago, the Bible wasn't given to increase their knowledge, but to change our lives. I think the Bible agrees, Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and active. It cuts more keenly than any two-edged sword. It strikes through to the place where soul and spirit meet, to the innermost intimacies of a man's being. It exposes the very thoughts and motives of a man's heart. The Living Bible says it exposes us for who we really are. In other words, when we read the Bible, it reads us. It exposes things in us. It begins, it digs into their heart. It, it, uh, there are things in us that we bury deep. Hurts from our past, from kids. Whether it be being molested uh, as a child, being physically abused, uh, sexually abused. And we will bury those things and we'll think that we're done. We're, we're past those things. But what this does, what the Word of God has a way of doing is searching us out because He doesn't want you just to bury those things. He wants you to be whole, complete. And if you bury them, they will come up eventually. The same with unforgiveness. You may, have, you may think, I forgot giving that person, just because, but it's just because you haven't seen them. And then when you see them again, you can feel that, ugh. It exposes their heart. Exposes their motives. It exposes hidden sins that we hope, man, nobody ever finds out about. And it exposes and says, here's an area you need to work on. You really need to work on this area. You need to work, really work on your temper. The way you've been talking to your wife, the way you've talked to your kids, the way you've talked to your spouse, come on. And when we study, we read the Word of God, and we apply the Word of God, it speaks to us and begins to make changes inside of us. It's alive and active. Bring up that picture from the Navigators. Here's what it is. Reading. Hearing. Meditate. Memorize. Study and apply. Jacob, come up here, buddy. You're a big, strong guy. I need you to just grip this with your pinky finger. Y'all need to get a good grip on it. Come on. Come on. You're stronger than that. Okay, what, what, about, what about if I allow you to, to, to your, your pointer finger, your index finger? And you can't use your thumb. Come on, swing it. Maneuver it. Yeah, see. Now, okay, let's, let's skip all the other. Try to grip it with all your fingers, but you cannot use your palm. You can't, don't, use, don't use the palm of your hand. No, no, you're still using it. Get it, get it out here. Now I want you to grip it. When you grit, see here, here, thank you, buddy. Here's the problem. We read the Word of God, but we can't swing it. 
and we'll try to do everything else. And we've got the tool here. We've got the tool. We've got what we need to get through this stuff we're going through. We've got what we need to bring peace into our lives, to bring joy, to heal ourselves. We've got that, but we're trying to swing it without actually getting all of it and applying it to our lives. We've got to learn to apply it. We've got to get a grip on what God says, what His Word says. That's reading it. That's hearing it. That's meditating on it. That's memorizing it. That's putting it all into practice. And then when the enemy comes, come on, guys. Let's close with this. I know I may not look it, but I... I, I I am a huge fitness guy. I enjoy fitness. Uh, and, uh, but I enjoy eating too. Uh, so we're trying to work out the balance there. Trying to get a grip on that. <laughs> so stay with me. Uh, but, but in fitness, uh, there's a physical, physical fitness experts talk about something called a BASE. It's an acronym. B-A-S-E. And here's what it stands for. They believe a good physical fitness program will give you these. B, balance. A, agility. Uh, S, strength. And E, endurance. It'll give you those things. They believe that. That's, that's what's if a good fit. Can I tell you, a good spiritual fitness program should give you the same things. Let me show you. It should give you biblical Balance. Balance. When you apply God's Word to your life, it helps you to stay balanced. Because how many know every, anything and everything is trying to knock you off your feet? It helps you to have, stay stable, balanced, when this world is so unstable right now. It gives you agility. Agility. I, I was like, what does agility really mean? I fit, so I looked up the definition. The ability to move quickly and change directions while maintaining control and balance. Man, do we need that. With the life flying at it, we need to be able to move quickly, change directions, hear God's voice. We think we're going this way. And God says, move. No, we got to move and be able to stay and have our foundation planted. We got it. We need agility. Can I tell you? When it comes to praying, there are some things you don't have to ask God about. There are some things you don't have to ask God about. You know, Casey up here taking an offering, he, he may, and I know it's what he was saying. He said, hey, if, if God lays it on your heart to give, give. That's not the question. God's laying it there. God's already said in his word. That's great. What he should have said was, hey, if you want to be obedient to God today, give. I got off track there. Let's keep moving. Biblical strength. It gives us strength. Fitness experts and doctors will tell you this. I I hit on this. More, More than the physical exercise, what you put into your body matters even more. What you allow to go into your body. That that's gonna that's gonna turn help you help you feel better, help you have more energy, what you put into your body. Jeremiah 15, he says this, your words were found, I ate them, and your words became a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. 
Here's what you need to understand about Jeremy, Jeremiah when he wrote this. He was discouraged. He was frustrated. He was actually dealing with some depression. But Jeremiah was so aware of what God's word could do for him internally. He's like, God, because he says, your words were found. In other words, I was looking for them. I was, I was like, I've got to find God's word. And when they were found, I ate them. And those words gave me joy again. They became a, del- they, a delight to my heart. I searched them out while because I know what your word can do when I apply it to my life. Lastly, endurance. Look what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.16. This is why we never collapse. I want you to get that. This is why we never collapse. This is why we never give up. This is why we never faint. This is why we, why? Because the outward man does indeed suffer wear and tear. But every day, the inward man, through your word, is receiving fresh strength. Another version says, I'm being renewed day by day by day. Paul said this in Romans 15. Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the Scripture and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Stand with me across this room. There's some of you This word, you hold it in high regard. It'd make you angry to see somebody tearing out the pages, burning it, or doing it. But yet, you don't have a firm grip on it. And I'm telling you, there's so many of you, your life, the things that you're going through right now, The weight of those things could be taken off if you were to get a grip on his word. I'm not saying it would ease the pain, but it would help you lean into God when the pain is there. I'm not saying it would take, answer all the questions, but it would help you lean into God when the questions are there. Our word is a lamp unto my feet. How many of you have ever been out camping with a lamp? Anybody? We're going to, in fact, we're getting ready to do a series after Easter called Camping Out. But how many know a lamp? When you're holding that lantern, you remember, remember the lanterns? You can see maybe two steps. But then when you took those two steps, another two steps was revealed to you. That's what having a grip on this does. Maybe you don't know the future. Maybe you're struggling with a decision. What this does is tells you how to take that first step. Then when you take that, guess what? His word is a lamp unto my feet. It shows me, oh, oh, no, I need to go this way. And you take that step. That's what having a grip on his word does. 
I just want to know, man. I'm not even going to ask you to bow your heads. How many would say, you know what, Kelly, if I'm being perfectly honest, I need a better hunger for God's Word. I, I, I want to be, be more hungry for God's Word than I am for pizza, than I am for Mexican food, than I am for Italian food, than whatever your favorite food is. I just named my top three. Whatever it is, I want, I want to be more hungry for that. I want to be more hungry for His Word than binging on Netflix. I want to be more hungry for His Word than scrolling through my feed on social media. I want to be more hungry for His Word than the hobbies that I get myself uh, distracted with. I want to be more hungry for His Word than any of those things. If that was you, just raise your hand. And my Lord, that should be all. I've got my hand. Because I've got things that I waste time on. Not that they're bad things. I love my video games. Sometimes I picture some of y'all as the people I'm shooting. No, no, generally, little humor, little humor there. Hands up, keep them up, keep them up. I'm going to pray for you. But I need areas. I want to be, I want to be so hungry for God's word. That when I wake up in the morning, that's the first thing I want to turn to. Before I lie, well, go to bed at night, the Word of God becomes my, uh, what, is, what is that? Uh, those, the Word of God becomes my melatonin. I'm eating it. I'm double fisting it. It becomes every part of me. Father, right now, you see every hand in this place raised. We give you permission to change our palate, to change our taste buds. We give you permission, Father, to come in. Holy Spirit, begin to convict us in areas that are taking way too much of our time. Create a hunger in us where we hunger for your word. We hunger to understand what it means. We meditate on your word. We apply your word. God, do that right now. Come on, say it. Say, do it, Father. Say it. Do it, Father. I give you permission. Change my taste buds. Change my palate. Make me hungry for you. In Jesus' big name. Amen, Pastor Casey.